0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. All right, church, would you grab your Bibles and would you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7? And, And by the way, if you're here and you didn't bring a Bible... Um, we'd love to give you one or let you borrow one. There should be one around you. Just grab that and, and use that. And if you're here and you don't have a Bible, uh, we would love to give you that one as a gift. Just take it, take it with you. It's yours, it's yours now, no strings attached. Just grab it. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 7, the end of 1 Corinthians 7. And as we get to our text, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Amen. I mean, literally. Physically. I mean, heaven to earth, return again. Do you believe that? I think there's many of us who believe that. In theory, we sing the songs, we know the scriptures. Um, but do we actually believe it? Let me push it further. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back soon? It's not so amen ish right there. Do you believe it might happen today? That it could happen this week, that, if not this week, surely this year. I mean, do you believe Jesus is coming back soon? Here's the reality. I think that most, and I'm betting you're going to agree with me on, on this, but I believe that most Christians, most followers of Jesus, we believe that Christ will return. We believe that. Uh, However, few Christians, few followers of Jesus believe that he will return soon. We're talking here about the imminent return of Christ. We have called, the church is called the imminent return of Christ, which by the way, you have to love the English language. Um, I'm not here talking about imminent, spelled E-M-I-N-E-N-T. That word refers to someone famous, not referring to that. I'm also not referring to imminent I-M-N-A-N-E-N-T. That refers to something intrinsic. We use that when we talk about God being knowable and, and, and God with us being near, right? Not talking about either one of those. I am talking about imminent. <laughs> I-M-N-I-N-E-N-T, meaning something that is about to happen something that is about to take place for any of you who English is your second language. I don't know how you did it, like just crazy. But do you believe in the imminent return of Christ, that his return is soon, that it is close? In light of this question, we had a bit of an interesting week. Uh, Some of you might have heard about this. Some of you might have seen the news feed. Some of it might be filling up your Facebook feeds. Um, but there was a section of our population who believed that Jesus was coming back yesterday. Um, yesterday was September 23rd, and there was so many things, cosmic and theological things, that all came together that, that made several led several of us to believe that Christ was coming back. At least the rapture was going to take place yesterday, the 23rd. Um, now, this was not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that we will claim that we know the return of Christ and when he is coming. Obviously, we're still here. It didn't happen yet, but we can easily, this is why I bring this up, hear things like that, hear claims like that, roll our eyes and think, oh, I've heard that before. Right, I've heard that. We can, we can begin to think that this view of the imminent return of Christ is something that only crazy people believe. Only people who are a little loony believe in that, right? We can start to... Okay, I am not proposing that we go crazy with, with predictions and conspiracies and trying to fill in gaps of prophecy here. I am proposing, though, that we don't swing that pendulum too far in the other direction, that we don't throw away this idea that Jesus is literally coming back and literally it could be any moment, that we don't throw this away. And here's why I bring this up here before we drop into our text. Um, you cannot understand this, this text properly. You cannot wrap your mind around this text or text like this without understanding the imminent return of Jesus Christ. More than that, without understanding that Paul, who wrote this, had a deeply and truly believed that Christ was not only coming back, but that the time was short. He is coming back soon, any second, any moment. In the early church, you get this sense that they were literally waiting and looking up any second, any second, any second, he's going to return. They believed it to their core, and this is greatly important for how we understand our text. So I wanted to lay that foundation. We're coming back to it. But let's dive in. Let's start reading in verse 25. Um, We will continue to see Paul here addressing one by one concerns of this Corinthian church, and here he's going to pick up with the betrothed. And as we start into our text today, I want to pick up from something that we touched on just briefly last week, Uh, Listen to this, in verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord. What? But I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. What is going on there, church? I mean, this is Paul here telling us, hey, I don't have a command from the Lord. This is Paul here telling us, hey, this is coming from my judgment. What do we do with that? What do we do as we come to Scripture, which we believe fully inspired by God? Amen? We believe this fully and completely. We believe it to be inerrant, meaning it does not have error. Authoritative. We believe this, so what do we do with this? Um, It's important for us to recognize for a moment context here. When Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, it's important for us to understand what he is saying and what he is not saying. Let's start with the first. When Paul uses the term Lord here, I'm going to state the obvious. He's referring to our Lord Jesus Christ. Many of you hear that, and you're like, duh, all right, Obviously. But this is really important here. Paul is referring to the God-man. Paul is referring to the God-man who walked this earth, teaching and preaching, who appeared to Paul at the time of his conversion. What Paul is saying here, right, is, is that Jesus, while he was walking and talking on this earth, did not preach and teach about this specifically. Paul says in that, I don't have a command from the Lord uh, Jesus did not, in other words, offer any teaching specifically regarding the betrothed in a context applicable to this Corinthian church. Another way to say that is you're not going to turn in your Bibles and find the red letters where Jesus addresses this specifically. You're not going to find where Jesus speaks directly to this topic. And that's why Paul says, I have no command from the Lord, but. But here's what this does not mean. This does not mean that it is not the word of the Lord. Uh, This does not mean that Paul was not inspired by the Holy Spirit here. This does not mean that Paul was not giving us the very word of the Father. This does not mean that this is not God's word given to us, inspired, inerrant, and authoritative. In other words, this is the word of God even though these words were not spoken to us specifically by the Son of God as he walked this earth. Do you follow me? That was weak. That was weak. This is the word of God, even though it was not spoken directly from the second member of the Trinity in his time on earth. In this, Paul says, I didn't get a word directly from our Lord Jesus Christ regarding this. But in no way should that diminish the authority and and the, the inspiration of this text. He says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Um, Now, like we we really dove into this last week when we looked at verse 17, but the call here is to remain faithful exactly where God has you exactly where God has you. So this is a call to remember that there is no person, there is no relationship, there is no next season, there is no marriage, there is no nothing that is going to complete you outside of Jesus Christ. So Paul here says again, it is good to remain as you are in Christ, to remain faithful where you are in Christ. And then in verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Do you hear it? Imminent. The appointed time has grown very short. Paul says, look, all the distress that we're in, all the persecution that we're in, we look around at all of the weirdness that's going on in our city of Corinth. We look at these things, all of the questions that you've been asking, all of the hardships that you are having, all of these things are difficult. But we need to look up. We need to look up because the appointed time has grown very short, imminent. The return of our Lord is imminent here for Paul, and he believes this. He truly believes this. And listen as he continues on. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What? Verse 30 and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. And then listen to what he says. For the present form of this world is what? Is passing away. Do you hear it? Imminent. All of these things, all of the things of life, mourning, rejoicing, buying and selling and marriage, all of it, all of life, Paul says this present form of of this world is passing away, the appointed time has grown very short, imminent. Now, Bible study 101 here. Um, One of the greatest tasks of any person who picks up God's word, any person who really wants to understand it, to rightly interpret it, is figuring out what things are literal and what things are a figure of speech. Figuring out what things are literal, what things are an analogy or figurative, right? Let me give you an example that I think will make this clear. Does anyone, you don't have to say it out loud unless you want to flex your Bible knowledge here, know the fifth commandment? No one's flexing, all right. Our church isn't full of pride. I love it. Um, The fifth commandment is honor your father and mother. Uh, This is Deuteronomy 5, Exodus 20. Honor your father and mother. Now, would you agree with me that the word honor does not mean hate? Amen? So when, when the Bible says honor your father and mother, it is not saying hate them. We all, we all on the same page? You don't know where I'm going with this, do you? God's heart, his command, his desire is that we honor our father and mother. This does not mean to hate. And if we believe this, then you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me read something to you, Luke 14, and I quote, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and his wife and his children, children and brothers and sisters, the whole lot, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Is Jesus calling us to hatred? Better yet, more specifically, is Jesus looking us in the eye and saying, break the fifth commandment? Break it. You know, set honor, I want you to hate. Is that what is going on here? Hear me, no. No, 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 no. And if your interpretation of Luke 14 leads you to that at conclusion, you need to pump the brakes, stopping. Wait a second. This doesn't fit with the whole of Scripture. So I think my interpretation might be a little off. And we need to stop and immediately assess what went wrong. In other words, Scripture rightly interpreted will not contradict Scripture, it won't. So what is happening here? The reality here is that the language Jesus used is something called hyperbole. Hyperbole is a tool of communication where you make a really strong statement, sometimes an exaggerated statement, in order that you can get across a specific message, um, in order to communicate a message. Now, to take hyperbole literally is to misinterpret the author's intent. It's to to misinterpret the author's intent. We use this language tool all the time. Did you hear it? Did you catch it? I just used it. Now, did I mean we use it all the time? Of course not. I was making a point. This is the point. Obviously, to take me literally is to misinterpret what I am saying. Now, when we come to Scripture, we can't allow ourselves to to take all of that away and just take everything literally because we're going to miss the author's intent. This is, there's something very similar going on here in our text. This is hyperbole. So Paul mentions, treat your spouse like you had none, deny happiness, um, deny mourning also on the other side of that. Um... He spoke against buying and selling. He spoke against dealing with the world. Um, Do we take this as literal? Uh, No, we can't. And how can we be sure? Because Paul himself tells us not to take this literally. For example, texts like Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, Paul gives us this really beautiful and balanced view of the marital relationship how we're supposed to love our spouse and give ourselves for each other, marital love. It's this picture, beautiful picture of marital relationship and sex. It's a wonderful picture. And you know what's left out of there? Ignoring your spouse. You're not going to find it there. Another one, um, 1 Thessalonians five sixteen. Paul is dealing with rejoicing. And not only does he not put down all rejoicing, he tells the church, rejoice always. Rejoice always. Don't stop this. Rejoice always. We see Philippians 3:18. On the other side of that spectrum, not only is Paul telling us that it's not okay to mourn, but here in this text we see Paul himself mourning. We see 1 Timothy 6:8. Paul speaking directly to our possessions, not telling us that it's bad to have them, but instead he looks at food and clothing and he says we're going to be content in life if we have these things. So, we could continue, that's enough for us to see here, but church, this is hyperbole. This is hyperbole. So we must ask ourselves then, if this isn't to be taken literally, and we're not supposed to literally ignore our spouses, what is the message that Paul is communicating? Because we don't want to throw this out, we want to ask, what are you saying here in your word, God, to us, to this church, and to us? And to see that, we need to drop back into context again, and let me remind us again, the appointed time had grown very short. The present form of this world is passing away. So let me ask you, if you truly believe that the return of Christ was imminent, next week, two weeks, if you truly believe this, if you believe that the very imminent return of Christ, if you believe in this from the bottom of your heart, Even more than that, church, if you just truly believe that we just didn't have a lot of time left, that the time is short, if you truly believe that, what advice would you give to the people that you love? What counsel would you be, what would that do? How would that change the counsel that you give to the people that you love and the people you care about? Would you be urging them to to not get distracted by lesser things? Would you be urging them to look up away from all of these distractions in life? Would you be doing that? I think you would. Would you be urging people to consider the things that matter the most? I think you would. Church, this is the heart of Paul in this text here. He looks at this church, their struggles, their questions. He looks at all of this, and, he, and, he, and he's looking ahead, again, his belief that Christ is coming back soon. And it's not that any of these things that he lists are bad things. Hear me, they're not bad things. It's just all that he listed was temporal. temporal he's saying church look up focus on what matters because the present form of this world is passing away the appointed season is growing very short look up make the most of your time because your time is short now if there's a message that we need to get and grab hold of is it not this we can so often live as though we are guaranteed forever that we are just gonna be here forever. We can so easily get distracted by all of life's stuff and we forget that our time is so short. Paul here urges this church, focus your sights on what is eternal. Focus your energy on the kingdom of God and pull up your head from the kingdom of this world because the time is short. Let me ask you, would that, does that cause us to have fear and anxiety? No. In fact, listen to this. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. Amen. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So what's happening here? Is, is marriage here a lesser option? Is it going to just divide our interests and... Is that where Paul is getting at here? Um, I want us to look at first this word anxiety. Now, um, anxiety, let me say another obvious statement, is not a good thing. Amen? Not a good thing. Anxiety is not a good thing. In fact, Paul says, I want you to be free from it. I want you to be free from all of it. Free from anxiety. Now, seeing this is really important in how we understand this text, because we see two kinds of anxiety here. The first is the anxiety that those in the church had who are single, and the second was the anxiety that those in the church had who were married. For the married, their anxiety was for worldly things, how to please their wives, their husbands. This is not a good thing in the life of these Corinthians believers. Paul is urging them, look up. He wants them to be free from that anxiety. For the unmarried, their anxiety was how to please the Lord. And before you think, Paul is putting them up on a pedestal here saying, look at how holy they are. They're only anxious about God things. This is not a good thing. This is, understand again, anxiety is not a good thing. And Paul wants them to be free from it. Sometimes we read this text and think it's negative for the married people, positive for the singles. It's not the way this text reads. Context here again, these Corinthians had placed their hope in pleasing the Lord in things they could do to earn it. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 4. We're going to see this in a big way at the end of the book when we're talking about gifts and spiritual gifts. They were concerned and anxious about pleasing the Lord, gaining this status before him. And there was an anxiety there. About pleasing the Lord. To say this in another way, you should never be anxious about how to please the Lord. You should never be anxious about how you can please the Lord. In Christ, you understand that Christ pleased God for you. And now you are the righteousness of God. If you're here and you're anxious about how to please the Lord, We need to look and focus our sights on Jesus Christ. Paul's saying, look up. In Christ, there is no anxiety in trying to figure out how to please God. But I will say this. If pleasing God did depend on you, doing something, earning something, depend on your works, then you and I have very good reason to be anxious. Paul here is not elevating any status of life over any other. Paul here is unilaterally calling us to look up and have an eternal perspective, to be free from anxiety. The return of Christ is coming. Our time is short. So Paul says, lay down your anxieties. Temporal anxieties, church, they seem to fade in light of eternity. They, They seem to just fade. And as we think about this, I want you to again consider Imminent. Imminent. I want to give you a really weird analogy. and I mean this. This one's a strange one. You're going to have to use your imagination, but I think it works. Follow me. Trust me. There was a man who loved his home. And he just, he loved it. He was in the middle of kind of remodeling it. And um, it was a beautiful home that set up on a cliff. And he was. It was looking out over the water. It was just. It was absolutely beautiful. And as part of this remodeling process, he had ripped up all the flooring. I mean, just ripped it out. It was this old kind of ratty carpet. He got it out of there. And uh, he was about to lay down all new flooring in his home. Like just totally new flooring. And and he realized this is a big decision here. I should probably seek some advice. Seek some advice. So, um, he reached out, decided to reach out to his friends. You're one of them. So he reaches out to you. And, and he he sets up a lunch. He's like, can we grab lunch so we can catch up and that I can get your your opinion on some of this remodeling stuff I'm doing in my home? Can I hear your thoughts on my flooring, right? So as this, in this moment, this there was something absolutely miraculous that happened. So as this man was in his car, driving, making his way to have lunch with you. A miracle of God happens. God speaks audibly to you. I mean, God himself comes and audibly speaks to you and says that that cliff that his house sits on is unstable that cliff, it's going to break apart and it's going to fall in the water soon. That literally, that entire cliff is going to fall along with all of that man's work crashing down into the water. And you are given this message from God right before the man walks in to have lunch with you. So I told you you'd have to use your imagination. Follow me. You there? Now, let me ask you, knowing what you know, as you sit down in front of this man and you get, you start talking over lunch, what advice would you give this man regarding his flooring? Um, as he asks you, what type of flooring should I install? What's easiest? What's the longevity? What looks the best? He's asking all these questions. What would you recommend to this man? Carpet? Tile? Anyone tile? Anyone wood? Yeah, yeah. I think wood, maybe it floats, right? Um, (laughs) How many of you just realize how ridiculous this question even is in the first place? How many of us realize that, that you couldn't care less about the kind of flooring he puts in the home? There's something more imminent around the corner that you need to address. There's... There's the collapse of the entire cliff. Let's talk about that. Let's address that. Church, Paul here in our text is a bit like this. The people of the Corinthian church were looking at their lives and they were having all kinds of anxieties. About, about these questions, questions of marriage and singleness and human sexuality and, and all of these things. And remember what these people were wondering. Let's not forget in verse 1 of chapter 7. They were wondering, should we just leave our spouses, give up on this whole sex thing? And just, what should we do? Should we all be single? Should we all be married? Should we, what should we do? What is remarriage? I mean, they were putting all of these concerns and anxieties in front of Paul. And to return to our analogy, it's a bit like us having anxiety around what flooring to pick. Us just losing sleep. Carpet, tile, wood. And Paul is reminding these people look up. Look up to what is eternal. Remember that our time is short. Remember that our time here on earth is short. So honor and glorify the Lord in everything. Be faithful to the Lord exactly where he has you and be anxious for nothing in light of that. Let me say it like this, church. There is freedom from anxiety in Christ, both in eternity, amen to that, and in our present situation and circumstances. There is freedom from anxiety. And some of us, that's exactly what we needed to hear from God's word this morning. There is freedom from anxiety. No matter where you find yourself, there is freedom from anxiety. And Christ has literally invited you to come to him and cast your burdens on him. And that he cares and that he is faithful. And that. And Paul here, in, starting in verse 36, is going to highlight this in another situation. Listen to this. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is not a sin. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Paul here is leveling, I mean, absolutely leveling this playing field. All throughout chapter 7, it's so clear that this church was grappling with what status can we get to to have a better standing before God? Is it single? Is it married? What is it? And what can we do? And they were seeking this as as a means to a higher spiritual status. But here we, we get this, this, this clear message, Paul is saying, with great clarity, church, it is not about that. It is not about that. It, starting in verse 17, we looked at last week, Paul says, this is the wrong question. These are the wrong concerns. The concern that you should have, church, is simply, are you faithful right where God has you? There's no next step that's going to make you in a higher spiritual bracket. Are you faithful? Don't seek another status. Remain faithful where you are. Honor the Lord right where you are. In the first part of this chapter, Paul reminds married couples to remain faithful. That God's plan for their marriage is fidelity. In the first part of this chapter, Paul reminds the unmarried to have self-control. That God's plan for them in their singleness is chastity. Paul has laid this out before them already. And here he's reiterating so much of this to them again. Paul reminds them, be self-controlled. Do not take sex out of the context of the marital covenant. Bring it back into God's plan. And if you, from that drive and you're conscious, want to get married, that's great. There's no sin there. And if you, on the same side, from your drive, your conscious, want to remain single, that's great. There's no sin there. Returning to our analogy, there's no sin in wood flooring. There's there's nothing wrong with tile, there's nothing wrong with carpet. Just be faithful with the floor that you lay, (laughs) install it well, enjoy it, be faithful right where you are. Paul says, there's no sin in marriage. There's no sin in singleness and none of the wrong questions. Be faithful to the word of God in each and every season that you are in. Be faithful to the word of God in each and every circumstance. And through it all, know that your time here is limited. It's not gonna last forever. Use it well for the glory of God, knowing that Jesus will return And your time here is not forever. Live obedient lives for his glory and for your good. And and here's what happens when we do this. I want to bring this around to our text again. As we do this, as we submit to God's word, as we continue to come to this, and we continue to ask and say, God, would you show me what your will is? And then we continue to submit ourselves to that as we live our lives, as we love our spouses, as we lead our homes, right, with this eternal perspective. Here's what's, hap- what's going to happen, church. Anxiety loses its grip on our lives. Paul says, church, I, I want you to know that the time is short, and in light of that, I want you to be free from anxieties. Church, the time is short. You're not promised You're not promised tomorrow. Each and every moment is a gift, and all of these temporal things, all of these things that battle for our attention, it's not that they're bad. But let's listen to Paul and take his advice here. Look up. Look up. In light of that, look up. Realize that these things are passing away. And in light of that, be free from the anxiety that those things can cause. Because there is freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. When we understand that we are loved, follow me. When we understand that we are loved, that we understand that we're forgiven, that we're adopted, accepted, redeemed, and there's nothing you did to earn it, there's nothing you did to add to it. When we understand the grace of God, the work of Jesus Christ, when we get this, when we understand that we're sinners in need of grace, all of us sinners can completely rely on grace. When we understand this, when we understand that God demonstrated his great love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. When we get that When we understand, church, that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ, when we get that, when we understand that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the creator of all things now sustains us in life when we get that, literally he's telling us, hey, I know what is better for you. I know you better than you know yourself, and I love you more than you can possibly understand. When we get that, when we understand that Christ came to give us life, life eternally and life abundantly, and that in Christ we will spend eternity with God. When we get that, and when we understand that there's a day coming that Christ is literally coming back, And all that is brokenness is fixed forever. All death, all sickness, all suffering, all sin will all be done, all be over. Through Christ, death dies. When we understand that, let me ask you a really simple question On what ground can your anxiety stand? Look up. So I want to finish with Paul's words The appointed time has grown very short. The present form of this world is passing away, and I want you to be free from anxieties. Let me pray for us. God, we we come to you now, and um, we ask for your help. Many times it is so difficult for us to lift our eyes up from what surrounds us, and and. Many times it is so just, it's, it's, it's hard. And Lord, would you help us? Would you lift our eyes? And would you show us that you love us? That you never make mistakes for each and every person in this room. There has not been one mistake made on your part. Would you just help us rest in that? To trust you? To know you to trust that you know us better than we know ourselves and to live in the freedom of a life lived through an eternal perspective. Yet I speak now and I, I just pray specifically for every person in this room who's dealing with anxiety. Whatever the cause is, whatever is going on, Lord, we just come to you now as your word says that you, we can cast our cares on you. And so we do that. We cast them on you knowing you care, that you love. Would you help us, Lord, in this moment as we cast our cares? And Lord, as we cast those cares, we know that's, that all too often we can slip back in and 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 the weight that we took off our shoulders, we, we tend to want to pick it back up and walk out of here with it. Lord, and through your word, you have called us to leave that weight. And the way we do that, Lord, as your word has told us, is to look up. To look up. Would you help us to do that? God, would you... Go with us now, and would you show us how to put into practice your word? In Jesus' name, amen.